Three years ago this month, in fact, it was on Labor Day, I made a very fast trip to the emergency room. My chest was tight, my left arm was numb, and I thought it was best that I go somewhere where they could check all of that out. Doctors began running tests that day and the next day, and thankfully there was no damage. They did find that my blood pressure was really high and my cholesterol was off the charts. And so that day began some changes for me. Changes in medication, uh, changes in diet, uh, but also changes in outlook. I hadn't taken a day off, a real, any real time off since the fire, and we had already been in the building about two or three months at that time. And so I had to change my outlook, and I had to get a lot more sleep than I had been getting. Six months later, I went back to the doctor, they drew blood, they ran some more tests, and the doctor came out and said, do you have a refrigerator? And I said, well, yes, we have a refrigerator. And she said, then get a magnet and stick these results on the refrigerator because you get an A+. That was the greatest news I could have hoped for. So I asked the doctor, does this mean I can quit taking the medicine? I can get off all that medication? She said, why would you want off of that medication? Well, because the results were good. No, no, you can't get off the medication. Does this mean I can get off the diet? Well, no. Does this mean I can go back to being stressed out over the smallest little things? Does this mean that I can go back to getting maybe four or five hours of sleep a night and that's it? No, obviously not. The treatment of my dis-ease involved a combination of many things. Medication, diet, exercise, and and outlook. All of those things had to work together. I can't pick and choose which ones I want. I have to keep them all together to keep me healthy. And so this last week, when I went back for my six-month follow-up and uh, got my blood drawn, and that evening when the doctor called me and said, your test results are back already, you get another A. I thought, yes, we did it again. Another six months. That's, That's how the principles that we've been looking at this month work. They work together. We can't pick and choose which ones we want and which ones we don't want. We can't say, I like contentment, but I'm not going to trust God. It doesn't work that way. Just like medicine and exercise and healthy living and a good outlook, they all work together. In fact, if you're reading too much on page 69, we read, to become financially healthy we must embrace four biblical principles that work together. Gratitude, contentment, trust, and humility. You see, we will never experience financial health until we are truly grateful to God for His provision in our lives. We will never be grateful until we are content with what we have, whether living with little or living with much. We will never be content until we have learned to trust God and His care for us, and we will never trust God until we humble ourselves before God, admitting our need for Him. These four principles work together. They are inseparable. Each is essential. And in the same way as we see those four working together, we also don't see results unless the principles which we've been looking at Sunday morning are accompanied with the practices we've been examining 
on Wednesday evening. The practices of debt-free living. The practice of saving. The practice of budgeting, which is a lot like dieting to me. And the practice of giving. They all have to work together to equal what? What do they equal? I can kind of hear it out there. That was great. Real profit. And what is real profit? We don't measure it by our bank accounts. We measure it by whether or not we get a good night's sleep. We sleep well because we're not worried about who's going to pay those bills and where the money's going to come from. We don't have arguments uh, in our homes because uh, we're not arguing about who's spending what and, and where this money is going and where that money is going. We probably have lower blood pressure because of, of uh, our real profit and real joy in life. All of those things sound wonderful. So that brings us to this week's principle. The final piece in the set is the principle of humility. Just like those kids in that video, I don't think we really understand what humility is. We don't do a great job of defining humility. Humility, humility is not putting yourself down. That's not humility. Humility isn't making yourself look bad, making yourself feel bad, insulting yourself because you can't do this or you can't do that. Maybe rather than define humility, we should look at an example of humility. In fact, we're going to look at the greatest example. If you've got your Bibles with you or you've got your devices with you, however it is that you access the Word of God, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-11. through 11. If you're using those Bibles there in front of you, the blue Bibles, we'd encourage you to turn to page 980 to Philippians chapter 2. There is no greater example of humility than what we see in Jesus Himself. And this passage tells us a lot about Jesus. This passage reminds us that Jesus is God. That He is exalted. That He belongs in the highest place. And yet, what did He do? He took a journey of humility for you and for me. We're going to begin there in Philippians 2, verse 1. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not consider, <clears throat> did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Jesus shows us about our own journey of humility is that humility requires a deliberate decision. I want to I clarify something as we talk about humility. Maybe it's a bit confusing. There are two words in the English language that look similar. They sound similar. Those two words are humility and 
humiliation. Humility and humiliation. There is a big difference between those two words. They are not the same thing. Humiliation is something that, well, it's something that's done to you when you are humiliated. Someone insults you. Someone makes you look bad. Someone puts you down. Someone uh, just, just embarrasses you and humiliates you. That's, that's a horrible thing, and that's not at all what we're talking about. That's not what God is asking us to do here. But humility, humility is something that you have to do for yourself. It's not an insult. It's not a put-down. In fact, it's a commitment. Humility requires a deliberate decision. The word humble means to lower yourself. It is a, it's a destination. It is a place where someone goes. And we see that of Jesus' own example here. Again, verse 6, Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We learn a lot about Jesus in this whole passage, but just in that verse alone, we're told that He was in the form of God. That is, everything that God is, everything that we can know about God, all that He means, all that, all that He is, is wrapped up, finds itself in Jesus Himself. And yet, Jesus made this decision to empty Himself of that. He chose to forego His status of being equal with God to journey into a humble existence here on earth. Page 73 of the book Too Much says, Jesus made a deliberate decision to give and not get, to serve and not be served, to submit and not dominate, Jesus chose to make a journey to a most humble destination. And if we're called to follow Him, and guess what? We're called to follow Him. We're going to find ourselves making that same journey. A journey away from self. A journey away from meeting our own needs. A journey into humility. And again, it has to be a deliberate decision because everything within us just cries out for us to take care of ourselves first. Everything within us says it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. We want to put ourselves first. It's about what I need. It's about my ego. Ken Blanchard has an interesting little phrase. He's a, a preacher and an author. He has an interesting little phrase that we should all learn. Ego. E-G-O. Ego stands for edging God out. That's what ego does. It edges God out. Sometimes, sometimes we don't move into humility. We move instead into pride. And when we move into pride, we edge God out of our lives. When we move into pride, God is no longer at the center. We put ourselves there at the center. Our money problems, our spending problems, are deeply rooted in a heart of pride. And once we realize that, we can repent. That means we can change our minds and we can surrender to Jesus and make that deliberate decision to follow Him, to follow His example in that journey to humility. So humility requires a deliberate decision. But what is humility? What does it call us to do? Well, from Jesus' own example here, we see that humility is denying ourselves of privilege. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus was in the very form of God. That was His nature. But, verse 7, but emptied Himself. He emptied Himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. He denied himself the right of heaven. I was thinking about an old hymn that we used to sing a lot. and We used to love this old hymn. And I always remember Mary Ellen singing this and just sounding so beautiful. She wouldn't sing it for me today. So I'll have to sing it for you instead. I'm going to do that for you. Do you remember the old hymn, Ivory Palaces? Do you remember the Ivory Palaces? What did the, what did the chorus... No one remembers Ivory Palaces? What did the chorus of Ivory Palaces says? Out of the Ivory Palaces into a world of woe. Only my great, only his, let me look it up. <laughs> only his great eternal love made my Savior go. That's Jesus. That's what Paul's telling us about here in Philippians chapter 2. He denied himself the privilege of being God. Not for what it would gain him, because all it gained him was, was pain, but for what it would gain us. There's a word we like to use a lot these days. The word is entitled. I am entitled. We like to talk about what we're entitled to. I'm entitled to this. I'm entitled to that. I'm entitled to these benefits. I'm entitled to this money from the government. Jesus was entitled to heaven. But He emptied Himself of that. He denied Himself of that. And again, we're called to follow Him. The path to being like Jesus is a path that is free of the control of money. Free of the control of debt. It is a path of humility. But ego keeps getting in the way. Ego keeps edging God out. Ego says we need this. Ego says we deserve this. Ego says we've earned this. But the whole time, it just keeps edging God out. Again, page 70 from the book. Our pride fuels us... See, this doesn't sound familiar. Our pride fuels us to purchase what we do not need with money we do not have to impress people we do not know. I would also add this, to impress people we do not like. Okay? Pride pushes us to depend on creditors to fund our out-of-control spending and entices us to ignore our Creator who is also our sustainer. To be financially healthy, each of us must embark on a journey of humility. We throw around that word entitled. There's another word we throw around a lot too. The word is status. We like to talk about status in our society, in our culture. It's a big part of our thinking. We have titles. We have ranks. We have grades in school. And our status tells us who is above us. And you better be sure it tells us who we are above. Who is below us. We know who's better than us. We know who we are better than. What do you update on your Facebook? Do you update your humility on your Facebook? No, you update your status on Facebook. You make yourself look good. The example of Jesus is the example of one who made the choice to empty himself of self. And that's where we get at the heart of what humility really is. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Do you hear the difference in that? 
Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Don't think less of yourselves. That's not humility. That is humiliation. I said earlier that humiliation is something that other people do to us. Someone else might humiliate you, but you better believe that we know how to humiliate ourselves also. Sometimes it's something we do to ourselves. We put ourselves down. We call ourselves worthless. We say we're no good. We say we can't do this. We can't do that. You're a child of God. You're, you're an heir of heaven. You are worthy of the infinite love of God. Knowing that, knowing that that is true, that is what enables you to take the journey of humility. That's what enables you to step down and humble yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus shows us and what Paul describes here in Philippians 2. Look again at verse 6. We'll start at verse 6 and go to verse 8. Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant and being, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did not consider equality with, some, with God something to be grasped. He made a deliberate decision to let go and to empty Himself. He took on the form of a servant. He denied Himself the privilege of heaven. And then in verse 8, in humility, He became like one of us. In obedience, He submitted even to death. Why? Because that's the only way He could save us. The only way He could save us was to give Himself away. Humility does that. Humility puts other people's needs before our needs. Humility tells us that there are needs that are greater than my own comfort, needs that are greater than my own wants, needs that are greater than my own preferences. Humility says, maybe this week I don't get that afternoon snack that I don't really need anyway. But maybe this week I don't get that afternoon snack so I can drop a few extra dollars in the generous bucket this weekend. Humility says maybe this year we don't take the big family vacation, but we take a smaller one and we use the money that we don't spend on ourselves to help a missionary that's in need or to help our church or to, to provide for someone else. Humility says, humility says I can deny myself of what I want because someone else can't afford what they need. You know, Jesus' story didn't end on the cross and it didn't end in the grave. And it doesn't end here in verse 8. The story goes on, verse 9, Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything that Jesus was, everything that He denied and emptied Himself of, it was all still a part of Him. It was all still who He was. Everything that He denied, everything that He emptied Himself of, it was still there. And that name that is above every name, that's His name. Your pride tells you you deserve this. Your pride tells you you've earned this. Your pride tells you you are entitled to this and that it will increase your 
status. But humility tells you, you're already a child of God. You're already a child of God. You're already an heir of heaven. What do you need with more stuff? Peter puts it this way. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Peter says, humble yourselves. Hear that? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. There's a relationship between pride and anxiety. Do you see it there? There's a relationship between pride and anxiety. Pride can provide stuff. Pride can provide stuff. In fact, pride can provide too much stuff. But it can't provide peace. Peace comes through what we saw in Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That call to humility, that call to trust, that call to contentment, and that call to gratitude. It's the call to Jesus. It's the call to place Him first in your life. It's the call to make Him Lord of your life and even Lord of your spending. It's a call to be thankful for what we have and content with the One who gave it to you. We're going to close things up just a little bit differently today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to put a prayer up on the, on the screen. Go ahead and put the first slide up there. And we're going to read this together. This is a prayer, if you've read through the book, too much. You see it's in the book. It's a prayer written in part by St. Francis who's always been one of my heroes. Francis was a man who was born of privilege. He was born with a lot and he gave it all up and walked away so that he might learn to imitate Christ. It's a prayer that reminds us that if we are in Christ, we already have everything that we need. And humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves can only give us more of Jesus. So, I'm going to read the black, the lines that are in black, and then together, we'll all read together the, the parts that are in green. Understood? Alright. Oh Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, together, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being rebuked, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being criticized, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus. 
Grant me the grace to desire it. That the opinion of the world, that the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease, Jesus. Grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus. Grant me the grace to desire it. Amen.